what our society needs right now is to lose the stigma, gain compassion, and understand that addiction is a solution to a problem that's always around some kind of a pain. If anybody felt the way that the addicted person felt, that they would also be reaching for substance too. So I think education and really embracing understanding and what that truly means. It's to bring ourselves down to that person's level and stand underneath them to really get a feel for what they might be going through. And that cutting somebody off is injurious to our entire society. We're repeating history right now. The reason we have such high crime rates has escalated exactly to the point when all drugs became illegal practically overnight, because at the beginning of last century, the addiction problem in the United States was very similar to that of what we have today. And we didn't know any better back then. So we started the war on drugs. Hey, everybody. My name is Josh Remini. I am the pharmacist that de-prescribes drugs by giving people health and wellness tips, tricks, hacks to moving their health from maybe not so good to vibrant. Follow along if you're ready to go beyond the pills. Hello, everyone. My next guest, I have the pleasure of introducing my colleague and good friend, Jen Bruce. Jen Bruce is a functional nutritionist, board certified health coach, transformational life coach and a person in long-term recovery specializing in addiction and mental health recovery. Jen's passion is teaching people how to use nutrition, lifestyle, and alternative medicines to support their recovery from addiction, chronic stress, mood swings, fatigue, chronic pain, medication dependency, and more so that they can feel good in their own skin and experience true freedom even when it seems impossible. What an awesome way to introduce my friend. Hello, Jen Bruce. How are you? I'm great, Josh. Thanks for having me here. How are you? I'm awesome. So this summit's all about beyond the pills. And so you and I have connected on many levels. And I wanted to start this conversation of, well, first of all, who are you? Why do you do what you do? And then let's talk about this component of mental health and emotional well-being, because it's such a big space for me right now and the world because of not only COVID, but where we are in humanity. So I'll let you take it away and I will sit here and listen. All right. Yeah. So I think like a lot of us that are called to do this work, I was brought to this work first for myself. I came from a long lineage of what I now realize is intergenerational trauma, but that manifested in my family as alcoholism, mental health challenges, especially around depression and anxiety. I was primed to fall into this pattern myself. And I'm in my 12th year of recovery from 17 years of alcohol use disorder. I went through a lot. <laughs> That's a really short label for a huge can of worms to unpack. But, you know, once I got into recovery, I was given, you know, a lot of different mental health diagnoses myself. I had CPTSD, uh, it's chronic post-traumatic stress disorder. I was labeled with clinical depression at one point. I was labeled with anxiety disorder at one point. I was even labeled with mild bipolar disorder at the beginning. And I went through the whole gamut with psychiatrists and Western medicine and traditional approaches to recovery. And a lot of that helped a lot, but then a lot of it didn't help at all. And so as I went through my healing journey, which is now what I know it is, and it's not linear, but they say when the student's ready, the teachers will appear. So I've been super blessed along the way to get world-class guidance on exactly what I needed on that part of my journey. And so what I came to realize over time was 
in a nutshell, in the Western world, and especially in American culture, we're really pathologizing the human experience. And this pill for every ill, like you say, you know, it's not that simple when it comes to healing and mental health and also chronic health conditions, because along with that, it's very rare. And, you know, now I've been in practice for some years working professionally with other people. It's really rare that we're going to see just depression or just anxiety or just addiction. There's going to be a host of chronic conditions, whether it's pain or immune system problems or autoimmunity. And with myself, tracing back through my lineage and and my family and the people that I've had the privilege to support along their healing journey is that generally there's been some things that have happened and there would be something wrong with us if we were okay. Right. And so a big part of my healing journey was coming to understand this and that there's much deeper work that has to be done. And that in fact, I wasn't broken. I didn't have a medical condition. My body and my whole being were in fact, super high performing, which is why I had some of the symptoms that mimic some of the diagnoses. And there would have been something wrong with me in a medical sense if I didn't have any symptomology. And so also a big part of this work, I think, and this is needed so much for everybody in today's world, because we've all had trauma with the pandemic and everything that comes with that collectively and individually is that the symptoms that we're experiencing are not always something that we want to mute or dismiss or get rid of as quickly as possible, because that's our body, our emotional body, our physical body, our spiritual body, our mental body. (laughs) That's the only way that it can tell us where something's off. And if we become health investigators and we're on the healing path, getting down to the root cause, that's going to be really important information to direct ourselves or the people that are supporting us on our healing team to figure out where it's coming from. You know, it's like the smoke and the fire. It's like, In the Western model, an allopathic model, we're just looking where the smoke's at to clear the smoke. We're not looking at where the smoke's coming from. So I've been effectively able to heal myself completely by finding out where the fire is and then spending my energy putting out the fire. And then the smoke naturally dissipates on its own, right? So today I have no diagnosis. I wouldn't find any criteria. I take no medications. I'm not in therapy. I'm doing better than most of the people I know after everything that's happened, and I wouldn't have been able to save that for myself 12, 13 years ago, that would not have been my story. So that's why I do this work. It really sparked a fire and it made me realize just through my own experience that so much more is possible for us than what's being told. And these diagnoses that are considered to be lifelong, it's just not true. It's not true. It's true if you take that approach. But if you are willing to think outside of the box a little bit, we have the ability to write our own story. Yeah. And your story is amazing. I love all the points. One of them is we do what we do generally in that wellness field, whether it's integrative, functional, whatever you want to call it, holistic, is because we've used that approach ourselves or someone that's been directly affected by it in our family. Almost everybody I interview, and you know the same circles, it's like something touched you and then you're compelled to teach and heal others, right? You've mentioned the word healing more than health. And so becoming a healer is very different than working in healthcare. Thank you for your story. It was beautiful. So you help people in mental health and recovery. You mentioned the word trauma a lot. You mentioned the word ancestral. This is not something that just happens to you. It's something that was passed down over generations. And then it's very 
closed in. Like even the word mental health seems like there's something wrong with you rather than a condition or a treated thing. So tell us a little bit about what you do specifically, like how you work with your patients from this non-pharmacologic approach and true recovery. Because I think that's the other issue is as pharmacists, most people on this summit are pharmacists is like you get depressed and the doctor puts you on, let's say Prozac or another drug, but we're not Prozac deficient. So we don't need to have the repletion of Prozac for us to feel better. And we all know the gut brain connection and all the things that we do naturally. So tell us about the non-pharma approach that you take in nutrition and in functional medicine when you're dealing with this topic that not a lot of people connect holistic lifestyle and functional medicine with mental health. It's always something else of like a physical dysfunction. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that's such an important area to lean into. And I speak from personal experience first. And I was raised with a mother who had treatment resistant depression. We'll get into that in a moment. I also want to preface this whole conversation. And I always do this with the people that I work with. I was on medication for a while and there's no shame in that, right? First of all, that's the only way we're being told. And also those medications were designed to help people balance their chemistry out in acute points in their illness. And in some cases, these medications can be life-saving. So I always want to preface when we're opening up the holistic conversation, especially if the medications haven't been working the way that you were told, because I think that there's a lot of shame that can come with these conditions because these conditions really affect our loved ones a lot and our productivity. It can destroy every aspect of our life. If we're not able to function mentally, like our finances, our career, our friendships, our marriages, our parental roles, all of this stuff can be affected in such tremendous ways. And then we're told that you just need to take this pill. And then if that pill doesn't work, then you have quote unquote treatment resistant depression. And these are diagnoses that once you have them, it's like, oh, I mean, I was taught that this runs in the family and you have it for life and you just have to learn how to manage it. And so this can put us to even more of a hopeless state. So I always want to really really bring home that there is no shame in taking medication. And if it's working for you, fantastic. Awesome. I personally know that I haven't seen it work very often for very many people in the long term. And then there's this problem with the medications is that they are highly addictive in the sense that when you try to get off of them, it's really difficult and there's withdrawal symptoms. And so The first thing with the medication for these conditions is that a lot of patients are not being given informed consent, which means that they're thoroughly explained the side effects and the potential risks with these medications. And I get a lot of people coming to me that were not told and they're trying to get off and they can't, or they're being told that the withdrawal symptoms are their mental illness. And then it means that they need to take more medication, but it's actually the withdrawal symptoms that they're suffering from. So I'm just a big advocate advocate of people making decisions for themselves based on having all the information. So the first thing I do with people I work with is make sure that there's a lot of education involved because most of us haven't have the privilege of receiving that. And then as far as going the holistic route with mental health, it's to recognize that we're a whole person 
and that the symptoms of unhealed trauma mimic those of the clinical descriptions that are in the DSM manual. That's the diagnostic manual that's used to diagnose these mental health conditions. So like trauma is emotional situation that, that actually affects our nervous system. And again, it's not like we're antidepressant deficient and serotonin and dopamine and these chemicals that we're familiar with now that these medications target are certainly disrupted in the process. But like, if we're looking at depression, there's many reasons that somebody could be depressed and in functional medicine, which is when we're looking at the whole person, that's what would be called an upstream symptom. And there's different reasons that that could be getting disrupted. It can be things like poor nutrient profiles, so poor diet. Most of us in the Western world are on the standard American diet, which is nutrient deficient. Our body needs raw building materials from the food that we eat to build these neurotransmitters to begin with. So are we serotonin deficient? Possibly, but is it because we need to go in there and mess with the receptor sites in the brain? Not necessarily. Inflammation, these neurotransmitters like serotonin travel through these really tiny little pathways in the brain. And if we have inflammation, which is due to chronic stress and lifestyle factors like lack of exercise, inflammatory foods, which are the standard American diet, those little tiny pathways, inflammation is like swelling on the inside of our body. And so the brain is not immune to the inflammation process. And these little tiny pathways that the serotonin travels through become smaller than they already were. So we're looking at depression specifically in the holistic field now in functional medicine as an inflammation problem. There's been studies where they gave half of the population of the study aspirin, which is an anti-inflammatory, which we don't recommend, but there are other ways to pursue lowering your inflammation. But they were treatment resistant. And when they were given an anti-inflammatory, their depression lifted. There's the emotional stuff. Like if we've had a traumatic experience in our life and it's not just about criteria of being a veteran of war combat, which certainly would qualify, but it's unique to the individual what trauma is and how it's stored in the body. So that would be another thing that we would look at. What time in your life did that thing happen? If something small seemingly now happened when you were two, you have a different set of coping skills at two. So something very small could have been very traumatic. And if that wound wasn't healed, we carry that imprint in our nervous system. We can also have chronic trauma or chronic stress, which is basically a production of the way that we're living our life in the Western world. And that accumulates over time. That's the source of mental health problems, which actually is not really a mental health. It's not a brain disease, right? It's not something that's pathological. It's a natural response. And when we see these like mental health situations arising in the lens of trauma and accumulated stress over time, it's not even the actual thing that happened in our life. And the work of people like Peter Levine, we're seeing now we don't even have to go back and relive it or talk it out. We need to somatically reprogram the nervous system's response to stress in the body because what it does, because our body's perfect and we're always looking for survival first and then thrival or growth and love and joy and all of these things, the body's mechanism sees that as secondarily important to our survival. So if we've had trauma, or even if it's been in our lineage, because epigenetics now show that seven generations hold genetic alterations due to one person's experience in our family changes the genes. And epi means above its environment that's above our genes. So we're not 
locked into genes, it's the environment. And so when we've had trauma accumulate, the nervous system becomes hyper-responsive to stress in an attempt to keep us alive. These upsets in our life can reprogram our nervous system. And so there will be no pill to heal that. It's a healing process through diet, lifestyle, mindset, all these kinds of things that actually heal that over time. So there's a tremendous amount of reasons that we could be having bipolar. There is true bipolar. There are people that go into mania and it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And there does need to be some management there with the brain chemistry, but we can use things that are not harmful. Like prescription lithium has a tremendous amount of side effects. We can use lithium orotate, which is a naturally occurring mineral. Most people that do actually have that are deficient in lithium, the mineral, not the prescription drug. Um, and so those things can help. But when we're looking at trauma, we now know there's fight or flight. Most of us are aware of that. That means we either flee or fight. So then we can look at mental health problems is that somebody has an anger problem. It actually could be their flight or fight response and anger management might help. But until we get the nervous system out of fight or flight through lifestyle, through nutrition, through deeper healing modalities, that anger problem is never going to go away. And again, we're just going to be managing it. Or now we know though, that there's the freeze response and that can mimic clinical depression. And if we're in freeze response, there's not a pill that's going to bring us out of freeze response. And so then you come to be classified as treatment resistant depression. And I think that that's tragic because it means that you're that treatment resistant depression, but it's not unhealable. And if you have somebody that's like living with trauma and they're fluctuating between a fight or flight, which is an aroused state and a freeze response, then we could be going from being aroused to frozen. And that mimics the criteria somewhere on the bipolar spectrum. And I'm not to say that it's not there and bipolar isn't real. Some people who are living with real bipolar will know that, right? And full manias, and it's a real thing. But I think the majority of people that are getting diagnosed with bipolar are probably fluctuating more between the freeze state and the fight or flight state. And that some work to heal the trauma could alleviate those symptoms. And that's been my experience. I was fluctuating between the two, but I had trauma that I hadn't healed. I yeah. healed the trauma and now that's gone. That's amazing because so many awesome nuggets because yes, recapping is like drugs are important. <laughs> Medications work. And it's such an interesting topic because in almost all chronic conditions, the meds do have a place from the acute phase. But the chronic phase where we would mask a symptom or sometimes becomes less effective or ineffective. And so you can look at this from the standpoint of PPIs and GERD, right? The same difference is you put them on it. The doctor keeps them on it. Let's not fix what's not broken. We try to get off it. The side effects of getting off a medication and reducing it are worse than when you started it. So then the pharma side comes in and says, I have to take it more and more and I can't get off it. We have patients that come in and say, this isn't working and I need help. So I love how you're a guide in so many ways to look. I always say to looking at it from different lenses of emotional and mental health, because we're at the stage where it's hard to even admit this space. You're seeing it in like professional sports and all these other places now that there's this more of an awareness thing. And so I love the fact that, yes, medications are important. We're not discounting them. There's more. We can use lifestyle, functional, holistic, root-caused approach to 
things like mental health. So I love that spin that you're putting on it from your lens of personal experience. It's also from the standpoint of we're blending ancient wisdom with science now, and we're working it towards, we would never be having this conversation about trauma and what it is and how it manifests itself. And I loved how you touched on the neuroscience of how we program this without even going back to the trauma. Now we have epigenetic scientific proven genetic response to how this is multi-generational. So it's things we've thought about for a while, but now we can back it up by science. And that's what I love about this space is we're totally backing it up from a lens that we need to hear it from. Because in America, the ancient science is like, well, I don't care what's been done in China and India for 3000 years. It's like, give me the pill and show me the study. It's like, well, okay, here's the study. I had a doctor today, my pharmacist asked me, she's like, can you provide me the study on magnesium and drug-induced nutrient deficiency in PPIs? Because he wanted to discharge the patient from the pharmacy because he had never heard of it before. And this is quackery. I said, obviously, I'll give you the study. So I love how you're blending science with ancient wisdom and your own personal experience. That's exactly what I do. I love treating and healing people from this thing that you mentioned, stress, this whole stressful events in our life. So you have a program. Tell us about it. Yeah. So mine is the Recovery Reset and it's a three-month program. It's addiction-informed, it's trauma-informed. But when I use the word recovery, it's really applying to recovering from whatever it is we're all recovering from life and how that's manifested as chronic conditions. And really, when I speak with addiction now, it's not like the heroin addict on the street corner that we all see driving down any city or town in the United States now. It's anything that we're repeating the behavior in our life. It brings us maybe some immediate relief, but there's negative consequences Despite the negative consequences, we continue to repeat that behavior. And when we try to stop, it's very difficult or impossible to do so. If we lean into that definition of addiction, we all have experienced that in some place in our life. And most of us in today's world are even struggling with our relationship in an addictive way to the food because it's manufactured to be addictive. And so that's online. And I do one-on-one and group because I found in my functional medicine practice that the community aspect of human need for healing is vital. And then what's lacking in our medical model in the Western world is that nobody listens to us, right? And so the biggest thing with functional medicine that blew me off of my socks the first time was that my doctor sat with me for two hours and really wanted to know my entire story so that she could figure out what I actually needed. So it's individualized to the person's unique needs, but then there's universal medicines that we all have access to, like our sleep and our food and all of these kinds of things. So then there's the group aspect as well. And then there's community with that. So that's my problem. And we really dive deep into the incredible amount of agency we have at our fingertips to heal ourselves that most likely we didn't even realize we have. That's great. Good nuggets again, like James Maskell wrote the book on the community cure and talks about we learn more from our peers and we've proven again by science and its studies to show that the group model is much more effective than the one-on-one and personalization and optimization is where we are in medicine today. And when we talk mental health, that's huge. So I love that you're blending that program because this topic of 
addiction is huge. This is why I love that you're on this summit because we need solutions to the opioid crisis. We have pharmacists dispensing them out like Pez candies and Tic Tacs. And we all know the difference. We know all the issues with Oxycontin and all of the evil pharma. But in this country, you have any pain, you're given an opiate. It's still there. It's still rampant. And you probably know the stats of how many people are dying daily from opiate overdose. And so this is a huge thing for us to have and open up this conversation to pharmacists because when we recognize that it's not a maintenance drug, we can reduce our pain response without medications. We can get our patients healthy. Now, again, they are great for acute conditions. I break my leg, I probably need some pain meds. However, you go to Europe, they're not going to give you a 90-day supply or a 30-day supply, even post-surgical. Like they are so restrictive comparably to where we are in this pill for the ill society and our programming of doctors wanting to help people. They do, they initially do wanna help people But what we're seeing on the pharmacy side is every pharmacist here on this summit will ultimately have someone in their head where they've had issues with people overusing and continuously abusing these medications. From my perspective, I see it also on the stimulant side for ADHD. There's rampant overdose, massive amounts of overuse of things like Adderall and amphetamines. So on both sides of those equations. So I'm super glad that you have this program and we're opening this up to pharmacists. We'll be able to show them, hey, if you need some help, it's not like, well, we're just gonna get you off the drugs, right? It's not that simple. And we see it every day. Pharmacists will come in and the patient will come in every single month and they'll come in four days early, then five days early, then six days early. And then you can do the math. Pharmacies, we can cumulatively see how much they've overtaken just on the prescription let alone we don't need to talk about the quantities and the frequencies that we're seeing the prescriptions being written at. So I love that you have this program and your passion around this. We've introduced this to pharmacy. Like we've introduced this concept, which is super important. So you've got a freebie too. I've asked everybody on that's participating with me on this summit. You've got something for everybody as well, right? Yeah, for my freebie is the 30 healing recipes for recovery little e-cookbook and it is filled with the nutritional needs specifically for people recovering from addiction, depression, anxiety, mental health, chronic stress. Nutrition by itself isn't going to fix the problem, but without it, the problem will never be fixed because the body requires the raw building materials from a whole foods diet necessary to keep your brain and nervous system healthy. And if you're healing or recovering from something specific, your brain and your nervous system is going to require extra amounts of these particular nutrients in order to have the fuel that it needs to rebuild itself because we can heal. Our body replaces itself every seven years. And if we give it what it needs, we can become a completely different human being than we were seven years ago. And I'm living proof of that, you know, and then just quickly too, I just wanted to touch on what you said, Josh, with everybody wants the science and all this stuff. And that's great. And we can do that now. And it's funny because I go to India and they've been teaching me things from 50,000 years ago. And then I'll come home and this big news that the science has (laughs) figured it out. And then, you know, I know now that science is great and it has its place, but we're just discovering with science. That's human's way of discovering what already is. 
we used to be much healthier as a species. And so we're remembering a lot of that now. But I was grateful for my addiction experience because it's one of the health conditions that there is no solution for yet. And I don't claim to have the whole solution. I'll be a student my whole life, but I became desperate enough. And it's one of the few medical conditions that they'll be like, you know, I don't really know. And there's an 8% success rate long-term that it forced me to think, well, if science couldn't figure my situation out, maybe I have to have the courage to not think that that's the end all be all because there's more than we've discovered and we prove it every day by discovering more and more. And my situation with my mental health, with all of the things is that I had to start going out and checking out what else might be helpful. And so the transformation that I have and that I hope everybody comes away with working with anybody in our field, myself or somebody else, is that we're teaching them to fish rather than to give them a fish. And my best scientific data is if I do something and I feel better, then it's good for me. And that's it. I've taken that approach too, which is especially with nutrition and lifestyle balancing is if it works for you and there was no harm being done, then it's not a problem. It doesn't need a double blind placebo controlled study. I would like to touch up on this fact because I got some mini download from when you were talking about addiction, recovery, pharmacy. I want to give some nuggets here for people to go home with. So everything starts with awareness. Tell me about the step process for people we got some things to do when they're going to recovery, right? But then there's this space of being aware and stepping into it. Paint this picture for me. A pharmacist dispensing meds, they obviously see that there's some addiction problem and they're seeing it because of the refill history and they're rolling their eyes because this is the problem customer and they're coming in and there's no blame or shame. I don't blame or shame anybody anymore. And for whatever reason, they're there. So walk a pharmacist through what are some ways that we can open this conversation in a positive light so we can get these people the healing that they need? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And you yeah, to the pharmacist, I mean- Or anybody, their caregiver, you know, whoever anybody, it might be. Anybody, and I know that all the doctors, even the overprescribers. So here's the thing, as far as I'm aware, I haven't gone through medical school, but I'm under the impression that there's only seven hours of addiction education in all- medical school plus residency. And there's very minimal of any of nutrition. And we're all struggling right now because even the psychiatrists, the psychotherapists, the counselor, the pharmacist, the doctor, like we're all in our own things because we're still under this model where like nothing's connected. So like all of these chronic conditions are because everything's connected. And so the first thing that anybody that's helping or supporting or possibly part of perpetuating their addiction problem is to recognize that we all are doing the best we can with what we know, including the person who's addicted. And the reason that people with addiction don't come for help is because of the shame and stigma. So I think the first thing is to educate ourselves on the nature of addiction, why people come to substance and even with the prescription model, like they're being prescribed because it's helping them with something. So it's not like why the substance use disorder, it's what is this helping the person with? And with opiates, it's always pain. And I get a lot of people that were in for opiates for like injuries, but there's a history of trauma and there's a history of whatever in the family and there's emotional pain. So that exposure to the opiates can then trigger. And then in the work I do, there's, we can do genetic tests and see specifically genetically what you're most likely to become addicted to. And if you have those genetics, so understanding that just the exposure for some people is enough to trigger those genetics. I mean, we could keep going down 
the rabbit hole with what does need to happen. But what our society needs right now is to lose the stigma, gain compassion, and understand that addiction is a solution to a problem that's always around some kind of a pain. If anybody felt the way that the addicted person felt, that they would also be reaching for substance too. So I think education and really embracing understanding and what that truly means. It's to bring ourselves down to that person's level and stand underneath them to really get a feel for what they might be going through. And that cutting somebody off is injurious to our entire society. We're repeating history right now. The reason we have such high crime rates has escalated exactly to the point when all drugs became illegal practically overnight, because at the beginning of last century, the addiction problem in the United States was very similar to that of what we have today. And we didn't know any better back then. So we started the war on drugs. And this is a whole other thing. Read Johan Hari chasing the scream if you really want to understand this process. But people that were medically supervised and addicted became criminals overnight because of the drug policy. And we can look at the graphs and the crime rates have increased in the United States directly with that law change. So we need to do it differently this time. Cutting somebody off doesn't stop the addiction. It sends them out to the street where all kinds of terrible things happen, not just to the addicted people, but to society. So this is really a societal issue. Yeah. Well, I love how you say it starts with education and touching on those points of seeing it from their point of view, especially from a pharmacy, because it's so easy to get into the space of the what, like they're coming in, they're doing all this stuff. And I've been there. It's been the space where they're the burden, they're the this. And so just having that awareness, taking it from their perspective and not putting a stigma on addiction is not a conscious thing. We don't physically do it because we get a dopamine hit and we know that it's going to get me high. Like this kind of addiction, it's happening underneath. And so I'm glad that you pulled that out. And I love that fascination. I, I'm going to have to dig into more of that detail because what happened on the war on drugs, we don't even have to go into the healing power of plant medicines and things like that, because those are very, very different than the other ones. And so Yes. The great point was if you cut them off, they're going to go worse. They don't have a choice if they don't have a healing method or a policy. I have my very, very good friend who has suffered and has gone through his recovery. This is a very touchy point for me as well because it saved his life and he's in a space now that he can be able to thrive. That's another good point for pharmacists is we can't enable them, but we also can't shut them down. And so there's this space where, well, what can we do and what tools are in the toolbox? So I love the fact that you do what you do. And this is not easy work. I've talked to you on many, many times where it's emotionally draining to help these people in the way and manner in which they do heal and recover. We're not setting a bone and sending them off with a medication and go. It's like, this is real, real work. So I want to honor you for what you do and what you're doing for this world, because it's so important. We've touched on so many awesome subjects. Thank you. How do people get a hold of you if they want to follow you or if they have resonated with and they got to send you somebody? Because I would love for you to be able to help more people and work your zone of genius. So where do people get a hold of you? It's at rootsrecoveryclinic.com. And that's my handle on Instagram at rootsrecoveryclinic. Reach out. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And I just wanted really quickly, because you brought up something else, but as far as in the pharmacy and in the medical world and seeing these people and they're, oh my gosh, here they come again. I think on the podcast, you have the DNA company, right? 
yes, we're, we're doing so, the DNA company. We already have the solution to this. It's just that the biggest thing we can do in the professional world is to have an open mind and recognize that we all have an important piece, but we have to work together because it's all the pieces getting put together that's going to solve this problem. Like the DNA company has a section on their test that analyzes the genes for addiction. So if the doctor's the one that's, you know, and everybody's doing their best with what they have, but we need to pool our resources and connect with each other like we're doing here on this series. And part of the screening process before putting somebody on opiates could be doing their genetic tests and see if they have a big genetic propensity to addiction, then they're not a good candidate for opiate medications, or they need to be educated that they're at high risk. If we did a health history that included their ACEs score, their childhood trauma, and had a criteria if opiates are even safe or not for these patients, that could change the world if we just put screening in place. And it's not like we have to invent it. It's already here. I work with a different genetic test that's more specific and it specifically tests the genes for opiate addiction specifically. So that's huge because Mm -hmm. these are manageable things now. These aren't thousands and thousands of dollars of testing. I love genetic testing as it relates to health and epigenetics and wellness because pharmacy, we're used to now pharmacogenomics of, well, do you process opiates, right? That's what our thought process turns to. Can you take the drug? But really it's can you metabolize the drug? That's what a pharmacogenomic test is. Do I have the cytochromes to do that? I love that piece because we can now test the genetics to say, are you a good candidate from the start based on you, not based on what we know of the general population, and then using simple tools like assessments. Assessments are easy, simple, and they're worth it. It's like do an assessment. I already know my genetics and now use that tool. I love what you say. We're all connections. Everyone that's been invited to speak at this summit is because we all understand that we're all in it together. We're not here to be in our own little pilot hole. We're not going to just spread the love and get people going. I can connect with you if I have an issue. You know what I do and we can connect with each other. And that's the component here is having a mind share And this is why we're starting a pharmacist mentorship and mindshare is because we all have to teach each other what we all do from our personal experience. I really enjoyed hearing your personal story and honoring your vulnerability because happiness starts with speaking your truth. I read that just today, speaking your truth and doing what you do and loving it and doing the hard stuff, the inner work. Everyone has to do their own inner work. And so I love that. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Pills podcast. You can find Josh on LinkedIn and Facebook at Josh Rimini and on TikTok at Beyond the Pills. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd be forever grateful if you left a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you know somebody who wants to go beyond the pills, send them this episode. If you've got any specific questions or ideas for future episodes, reach out to Josh and send him a message. Thanks again for being a part of the Beyond the Pills community. We'll see you next time.